You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Upfront at the Euros. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. England's group stage party continues with another win, this time over a spirited Northern Ireland. Are England favourites now? If they're not favourites, then France might be. They're through to the quarterfinals on the back of more saucy attack. And we said Norway would be dark horses. Well, that didn't quite work out how we thought. Yeah, um, a bit embarrassed on the Norway predictions, but we'll, we'll get on to that a little bit later because, um, boy, have they had a bad Euro. Second consecutive Euros, they've not made it through to the quarterfinals. So, yeah, that's pretty bad. And we will get stuck into that in a little bit. But we're going to start with England because, sorry, listener, but if you haven't already realised we're going to hype up England so much during this tournament, then you listen to the wrong podcast. OK, so it's going to happen. If you want to fast forward, we'll get producer Charlie to put in the notes when we stop talking about England. So you can just fast forward if you want to listen to this chat. Um, it was an impressive at times 5-0 win over Northern Ireland. Um, but I want to start in the first sort of like 15, 20 minutes of the game where 
England were on the ropes. Um, I think if you look at the headline points, if you didn't watch the game and you saw a 5-0 win, you'd be expecting exactly that and you'd think that England had taken the game home, um, buried all their chances and had a really successful game. But I think um, the opening half, I think, was quite disappointing for for everyone. I think um, England looked very flat. Um, obviously, they're missing Serena out with uh, with COVID at the moment. Um, but I think, obviously, she would have been watching and I think everyone on the uh, on the bench was heavily mic'd up, um, given her... All the uh, all the instructions, but I just felt that they looked flat, um, very complacent. Obviously, they're already through to the to the next uh, to the quarterfinals, and you could kind of tell it looked a bit um, a little bit shaky. And um, in the first kind of opening minutes, I mean, Northern Ireland already had a chance within two minutes or so, and Mary Earp was putting out a fairly standard but but still good and crucial save. Um, yeah, they they looked um, they looked exposed at the back, and they didn't need to be. Yeah, I thought. <sighs> They, they just didn't look switched on from the first whistle and I think Northern Ireland probably knew, having seen recent England performances, that the second half was going to be tough, that the changes that England would likely make, you know, they would they would struggle to keep up with that. So I think they knew the first half was where they needed to get at England and they did. We You said there they, they looked exposed. They did. They, Northern Ireland got in the back a couple of times. I think exposed maybe a weakness that England have that if you've got a, a better team with, you know, maybe more clinical wingers or forwards, um, England could have been punished. So it's probably something they're going to want to look at for sure. Um, but I do think you're factoring in that they probably thought they were going to win the game and they already knew they were through. But I don't think Serena would like to see that kind of attitude. I think she'd been really disappointed with that. I think um, obviously she's watching it from wherever, whatever isolation pod she's in. And um, I, I can imagine the anger and frustration. I mean, she's pretty hard to impress any bit anyway, but um, I can't imagine that she would have been looking at that and thinking, yeah, we've, um, we've taken the game home to them. But I can't say that I really agree with her approach to the game in a way. Um, I mean, the, the, the lack of rotation. Kind the of lack of rotation, mean. yeah. I mean, we've already gone through. I think the impact players that did come on in the second half, if they'd have started in the first half, I think, you know, they've got so much more to prove in terms of trying to get, trying to win their shirt, trying to win a place in the starting eleven. And I just think that would have been a really good opportunity to rotate the squad a little bit and give them an opportunity to not only get a cap, but also, um, you know, get some get some run out time because they might be needed further on in the tournament. Yeah, that, that decision definitely got people talking. We don't normally get that many interesting um, snippets from pre-match press conferences. But we know that um, Serena Wiegmann's built this reputation of being quite ruthless, being a strong decision maker. And when Katie Zellum was called up to the England camp and England were winning games 10-0, it took her like three or four camps to even make her debut when she hadn't had a cap before. So we know in the past Serena does, is not a pity cap kind of person, not a pity appearance person. But I think a lot of people were surprised, Chloe. I think I was a little bit surprised not to see any rotation. I completely think there's a reason to say you need rhythm and you need routine. Um, but I think some fresh legs wouldn't have gone amiss. I think... Um, Rachel, I think you're right that there was, uh, you know, that their heads were were kind of switched off a little bit because they'd already qualified. And I think there was also an air of kind of like overconfidence and arrogance. They'd probably seen the way that uh, Northern Ireland had played in their other games and thought, okay, well, you know, we we we're going to have time on the ball. Uh, we can, you know, we don't need to play necessarily a really high tempo game. But I was so impressed with Northern Ireland's press. They put England under, under so much pressure and got rewarded for it. And also their their kind of low block defensively just allowed them to pick off England and then play quite um quite good 
counter-attacking opportunities. They just didn't have that final bit of quality uh, where, where it mattered, but they had some really good opportunities in the first half. Mary Earps had to make a couple of early good saves. There was that chance, I can't remember who it was, uh, who ended up kind of just hitting the side netting uh, as well. So, it, it, I mean, Kenny Shields, not a fan of the guy. I think he's extremely strange. But um, he, you know, he must have been feeling pretty positive about their their opening, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so of the game. And I can understand they would be absolutely gutted um, at the full-time scoreline because there were so many positives there. And also the fans, the fans were so loud. I mean, there was a, a pocket in the, in, the, in the far corner of Northern Ireland fans and they were going all night long, just like non-stop drumming, screaming Green White Army. Like it was really good. And I think what I really enjoyed is that brought up the England fans. And I think it was one of the best atmospheres we've seen so far for England in this tournament because the noise of Northern Ireland fans, it just meant that the England fans knew that they had to bring bring it as well. And I think um, I think that did really help England turn it around. I think they just they just focused a little bit more. They realised that they needed to switch on a little bit more. And those sloppy passes, they they started to find the space. Um, and then once that first goal went in, it you just felt like Rachel, the tide was going to turn a little bit. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to sound negative. It was. It was a overall a good performance. They've come out with a five 0 win, top the group, won all their games. Um, but you know, you're, you're kind of looking at at the performance with a view to playing tougher teams going forward in the quarterfinals. Um, and to be honest, it's kind of good for them to be tested. It's good for them to maybe be on the rubs a little bit, just as a, a little bit of a reminder that this is what's going to happen um, if they continue to progress in the tournament. So yeah, it's not it's absolutely not all doom and gloom, um, but it's just is something that we want to is worth considering um given we were we were so enthusiastic and in cloud nine after the norway game um it's i think brought us down to, to earth a little bit um but you know it's not hugely concerning um but yeah overall it was a, a great night um brilliant performance in the second half i thought the substitutes had um talk about an impact from alessia russo um great goal from fan kirby so glad she got on the score sheet and beth mead twinkle toes dancing through defenses and scoring another goal um she's got to keep getting asked about that golden boot uh and then yeah alessia russo two goals the second goal particularly was chef kiss. magic so unreal good. we've got well let's, let's let's break down that goal right because if anyone hasn't seen it tune air ella tune that just it just really gets me like excited when I see my favourite hun, Ella Toon, linking up with her partner, Alessia Russo, on the pitch. Manchester United duo, so good. You got Tuner just delivering the most sumptuous pass and then Russo just turns it with, I think, is it her left foot to then create the space behind her, runs onto her touch that's like almost like a back heel touch, takes it around the corner and then finishes with her right foot. It is sensational. On the BBC website, you, they've done a little video where you can watch it like from four different angles. I was watching it in the car home like with a big smile on my face. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and she could have had a hat trick. The girl was on fire. Um, yeah. She had them two more chances after that. Two yeah, more sort of clear-cut chances. And you can see how disappointed she was not to end up with more goals uh, to her name and, and credit because the finish that she pulled off in that, that round the world, she was at a 360 before turning in and, and having a <laughs> shot. It was bizarre. Um, yeah, she always made it more difficult and then sort of turned it off. And the technique on that is unreal because the ball fired into her in the first instance from Toon was not a difficult, was not an easy ball to, to, um, to get under control and, and turn that round. 
Um, but I think I do just want to say, obviously, I know we're focusing on, you know, how sort of slack I think we were in the first half. But I think, um, you know, you've got to give credit there to, to Northern Ireland. And I think their progression in the competition, whilst their first two get, uh, games weren't, um, they weren't great. Uh, I think sort of putting it bluntly and summarising. Um, but also, I think they've really worked hard on minimising the mistakes that they've made in the first two games. Um, you know, in the opening games, they, they were now getting tight to, you know, bronze and, and daily. Um, they stopped playing out from the back, which was uh, which was killing them on occasion. Um, and I feel like, you know, defensively, they were such a bloody unit. I mean, the um, the centre-halves, as well as uh, Jackie Burns in goal, were doing an, the absolute mostest to clear away the danger. So whilst we're sort of, um, you know, given... England a lot of stick for the first half. I think we've got to give um, Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland, a lot, of cre- a lot of credit. I want to put you guys on the spot now because Ellen White, you know, stepped up in the Norway game, uh, and we know that she is a different animal in major tournaments. She still has, you know, uh, a, a great finishing ability, but she just her movement is not the same. She's not as agile. You know, she just isn't she isn't as much of a total player as Alicia Russo is right now in the differing stage of their career. So I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Chloe, I'm going to come to you first. The big question on my lips is, would you start Alicia Russo over Ellen White on Wednesday in that quarterfinal against a team we're yet to find out? I think that's a really bloody tough question. And I, quite frankly, I think that's disgusting of you to put me in this position. Um, <laughs> Don't sit shocking. on the fence, man. Come on. Come on. <laughs> that's my job. I, <laughs> I mean, Ellen White has had two phenomenal, uh, three, well, two and a half, really, phenomenal performances uh, for England in these in these opening games. And I just, um, I, I think it's going to be very hard. I mean, Serena also is a stickler for consistency and I can't see her actually, um, even if I say, um, you know, even as my valid opinion on the England bench is not enough to convince her that Russo should be starting the next game, given that performance and the impact that she had. I think um, she's a player with a lot of desire. She's a young player. She wants to make a name for herself. And I think she will give it 300,000% um, in the quarterfinal, um, if you can possibly do That's that. That's a lot of percent. That's a lot of percent. Yeah. I mean, maths was never my strong point, but <laughs> she's going to give it a lot of percent. And... Um, I want to say yes. I think she should start. I think it would just have a little bit of a, a fresher injection up front. But I think that I, Ellen's been amazing. So, so you, I'm trying to work out what you're saying here, Chloe. Are you saying me st- too. stick stick with Ellen and bring Russo off of the bench? This is about as confusing as you trying to work out England getting yeah, to a final. On, just give me an answer, man. Come on. Um, do you know what? Yeah, stick with Ellen for the first half. Bring Russo on for the second for that for that impact play. Okay, noted. Right, Rachel. How about you? I would start Ellen White. I think um, England See, would clean, benefit. concise, yeah. to the point, Chloe. That's what I was looking for. That's I think, a little bit rich, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> England benefit from, would benefit from that consistency. I think um, they have enough kind of stress about it being a home tournament, about knowing they have to, they have to get through the next round. Um, and I think making changes would put pressure on Alessia Russo. And I think, uh, yeah, I'd stick with Alan White, as Chloe said, get Alessia off and on in the second half and let her bang in a couple of goals. See, I do agree with both of you, but... That sounds mm, like you're sitting on the fence, but, mate. Yeah. But, but, but no, no, no. The reason I would start Russo is because I do see the upside of bringing her on as an impact sub, but what, what I fear is if, it, if it's too late in a game and say England are 2-0 down, they're chasing a game and Russo comes on in the 60th minute... There's not enough time 
to for her to deliver what she needs to. She scored within two minutes of how, uh, coming on yesterday. I know, I know, but it, it, that's a different situation. That it is a different sort of game. I think it's going to be a tougher test. Say it's Spain in the quarterfinal, and you know England for whatever reason you know we know Spain don't create a lot of opportunities don't score a lot of goals they're struggling at the moment they're not really playing a centre forward but say England go 1-2-0 down against Spain and they're chasing a game I just she's not coming in a situation yet where England are chasing a game and that is what I worry about I mean England are yet to concede at this tournament they've scored what 15 goals is it Uh, 14 goals Eight plus five, 14. Um, yeah, uh, and they, they're yet to, to have to chase a game. And that's why I feel like starting with Russo would be a better option because I feel like they need to hit the ground running in these knockout stages uh, and continue to deliver what they have. And Ellen White is still missing chances. As much as she was clinical in the Norway game, she missed some brilliant chances yeah, but so in the Belgian Russo, game. So she missed some brilliant chances in the in the Austria game. She missed some brilliant chances yesterday. England could have been 1-0 up if, if White had put away that, that early charge she had. So, I and love Ellen could White. have had four. Yeah, and also Ellen White's on target for Golden Boot. Like, she's, you know... No, she, Mead is... So is Russo. 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 I mean, they're all up there. They're all up there. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just. We could talk about this all, all day, but we'll but see also, what happens. But also, we don't know how Serena would react in a situation like that, and she probably wouldn't wait until the 60th minute to start trying to make a change in a game where they're losing two 0 and it's a knockout stage. So because we haven't seen that, we don't know how the manager would react either. She could. All, she could be making changes at half time. You know. So we're kind of. We haven't been in that scenario before, so it is quite hard to predict. So what would you do then? Bring on if things weren't going to plan then you started Russo, what you'd bring on Ellen White as an impact? Yeah. Potentially, yeah. Just flip flip reverse it. I mean, there's so much depth. This is what we know. There is so much depth with England and that's what's exciting. And I want to shout out Fran Kirby because her goal was absolute quality and it took a special bit of quality to break the deadlock there and give England the confidence. And who knows what would have happened if Kirby hadn't stuck away that goal because we saw how England were frustrated in October against online at Wembley. And it was same again last night. So massive credit to, for Kirby, to Kirby for, for, for breaking the deadlock and creating the, the space and the opportunity for England to just to flourish. Um, a word on Kenny Shields as per. Um, when that uh, own goal went in, a really fortunate own goal for Burroughs, I'm pretty sure I saw the man like slap himself in the face with annoyance and anger, which was uh, a sight. Um, and then, of course, afterwards, he said what so many managers have been saying in the build-up and during this tournament, which is, you know, it would be a crying shame if England lost this tournament. You know, he basically he said, what did he say? Everyone else might as well go home. It would be a failure. It would be a failure. And he said everyone else might as well go home. It's basically England's tournament now. Now, everyone is going to try and troll this team to put pressure on them. And we know the king of trolling is Mr. Kenny Shields. So I expect nothing less. Um but do you guys, I mean, we know that he's a bit of a wind-up merchant, but what do you guys think about this um, rhetoric now around England being the out-and-out favourites? Do you think it's warranted or do you think it's other managers and nations just trying to pile the pressure on? It's bullshit. They're one of the favourites. They're not out-and-out favourites. And to try and say that and ignore the performances that Germany and France have put in, the fact that you've got, I know Sweden haven't absolutely shunned, but they're they're still up there with qualifying and, and they're the kind of team that can put in a shift and get a job done. Um, 
Totally understand. Managers are totally going to do that. But it makes you look a bit silly to try and say there's any out and out favourite in this tournament at all. I agree. I think it's shithousery. And I think um, he's tried to pile the pressure on and I think it sounds like sour grapes to me. It's a parting um, gift. Yeah, it's that. And I think um, I was just really disappointed with his behaviour on the sidelines. I think his He was really screaming in, at them, wasn't he? It was, it it was, was quite horrible. It wasn't nice. And I think, um, you know, as a, as a player, you're on the pitch, you're doing your absolute best. It's the first time they've reached this competition. They've had some massive historic occasions with their first goal. They've put in an absolute shift in that first half. I mean, defensively, they were fucking solid. And then for that own goal, it's it's just one of those, you know, ridiculous things that just happens. And then you could see how visibly annoyed he was. And for me, as a player, I'd be thinking, fuck off. Like, really? <laughs> like, we're doing our absolute bloody best and these things just bloody happen. So it's not it's not nice when you look over, you're already feeling down. Five goals have just gone in and your one of your own players just netted, <laughs> got the back of the net. Sweet and, goal um, as well. It was amazing. I mean, the technique on it was fantastic. It was like Cinderella. He lost his mind. But he lost his mind when that own goal went in. And it was like, well, she just obviously didn't do it on purpose. You and you weren't coming that. back from 4-0 down anyway. No, it, but it wasn't just... a critical goal. And, to look and they're over already on the out sideline, of the tournament, right? Yeah. Like, this, was, this whole match felt like a way for them to finish the tournament with their fans in fine voice and it was a party for them it was like a farewell party and a celebration of how far they've come and his behavior on the sidelines kind of turned it into a, a slightly you know a slightly sad vibe with it this is not a champions league final for northern ireland and i just um it was unnecessary and unacceptable so yeah for me i just think i mean i i have mixed views on Kenny Shields anyway but um, yeah I was just really disappointed with his behaviour it'll be interesting to see what happens with him going forward obviously the man is never far away from controversy um, but you know a really really important words from Northern Ireland captain Marissa Callahan at, at, at full time because we know that um, this tournament has you know had had the transformational potential for Northern Irish women's football and it we, we don't like to on this pod talk about you know, women's football inspiring kids all the time. And, and that's not what this is about. But this team were put into full-time training as a whole group for the first time in any of their careers. And Callahan spoke about the fact that the majority of the group will be going back to jobs, will be going back to semi-pro football, to part-time football straight after this tournament. And, you know, she called on the Irish FA, she called on uh, the leagues, she called on everyone to continue to support women's football. A bit like, you know, that impassioned speech we saw from Marta in 2019 after Brazil got knocked out. Uh, knocked out. She, she wants to see this be the start and not the end of a journey for Northern Irish women's football. And I think that's really important because, you know, this shows how much potential there is and the fact that, you know, they played two really good competitive games against England now in this tournament and in uh, and uh, in October at Wembley in the World Cup qualifiers. So, you know, hopefully this is not the last time we're going to see them and this is going to be something that they can build on with or without Kenny Shields. Um, but they need the support. There is no point in just, you know, in, in giving this team a little bit of, of full-time backing because it's just not going to get them anywhere. True. I think there is a lot of positives to take from this tournament for them. Um, and I really hope it is 
uh, a Kickstarter for them um, in Northern Ireland to to grow the game more. It is a small country. We have to remember that. Um, and it takes a lot to to turn a league professional. Um, but hopefully this is, you know, we've seen it in England, the catalysts, the things that have kind of sparked um, another leap in women's football. And hopefully this is that for them because... Yes, we, we don't like to bang on about the whole inspired generation, but they've absolutely inspired not just people in Northern Ireland. I think probably people around the world who've, who've tuned into the tournament with some really um, impressive and, and performances they can be proud of. Um, and yeah, I hope, it, I hope this is a moment we look back on in five, six, seven years time for Northern Irish football and say this, was, this is what changed her for them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. We've got to talk about the other game in Group A. Austria won, Norway nil. I mean, this was pretty sensational. Nicole Biller with the absolute peach of a header, heading in a beautiful Verena Hanshaw ball um, and shocking Norway, shocking the tournament. We know that Austria are a very good side. They got to the semi-finals of the last Euros. You know, there's so much, um, there's so much potential in that team. They're organised. They're frustrated, in, frustrated England. But I think a lot of people thought that the result for for, for Norway against England was going to be a wake-up call, uh, and Norway did not get the job done. Rachel, no, I think it's further like. I'd say initially they thought they could write off that England performance as something they want to forget, learn from, never going to happen again. Um, and look, it didn't. It didn't kind of. It wasn't that kind of performance against Austria, but it's a wake up call. It's a. It's an issue. I think there in the Norway team, um, that England performance wasn't a once off. The team are struggling to be cohesive. Uh, they've got real problems at the back, which we talked about at the beginning of the tournament. But they are far kind of maybe worse than we um, alluded to or maybe thought. Um, and I think, yeah, there was a real struggle for the team to come together. They're not getting the best out of their players, which is crazy when you think of the players they do have on that team. If you are not getting the absolute best out of them, there is a serious problem. Um, 
So yeah, I, I'll be interested to see what happens after this tournament in Norway with the team. The manager, Ada Hegeberg, said, you know, the responsibility was on everyone there. There was no kind of one person responsible for the performances. But um, it's sad to see because we talked, we tipped them, not just because we tipped them as a dark horse and now we look a bit stupid, but, you know, they are a powerhouse of a team in, in women's football. We've seen them go far in the Euros before um, and we kind of expected that with the quality in their team. Uh, so yeah, it's it's it was a surprise. Not gonna lie, there are a lot of questions around the future of Martin Shogren and rumours as well that Hegarisa could be up to replace him. Uh, current manager of the Norway under 19s she's done a good job there, to be fair. But a lot of people will recognise her from a fairly dodgy interim job at England. But I feel like you know she was kind of set up to fail there because it was a bizarre appointment in a very short space of time, and then she took on the Team GB role as part of that, and it was a bit of a disaster. But anyway, wait to see what happens there. But Chloe, massive credit for Austria. And I don't know if anyone's seen the uh, the celebrations afterwards, which are becoming a bit of a tradition with Austrian women's team, is that they have a massive party in the changing room and in the mix zone after a big win. And uh, yeah, the chairs were out, the like signs, floor signs to say it's like slippery, please be careful, we're out. <laughs> it was a party. And you know what? They earned it. They earned it. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to see the state of uh, Falmer Stadium uh, changing rooms after that. And I do feel sorry for the, the poor stewards who probably have to clean up whatever carnage they've created. Hopefully but... they cleaned it up after themselves. A lot yeah, of footballers are quite players. good like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I always was. Never. <laughs> um, no, I think, I mean, and too right for that celebration as well. I mean, they weren't probably the favourites uh, to get out of this group. I mean, we all thought that, that Norway were going to take home um, that sort of second spot. And I think it's just been a massive disappointment. And I don't really blame us for getting it wrong in terms of thinking how successful they uh, Norway would be. Um, because of and quality. they had some good results in the warm-up to this tournament as well. It's not like we just kind of, you know, picked out of nowhere. They looked... Decent, yeah, didn't they? It, that wasn't an eeny, meeny, miny, mo guess. I mean, the quality that <laughs> Don't tell got. people how we do our choices. <laughs> I mean, we didn't just rely on Rachel's rabbit, the animal. <laughs> Who was right. Maybe <laughs> we should have. Who was completely right. Um, but in the same breath, like, I just think, uh, you know, credit to, to Austria and, you know, getting out of the group stages in a, in a tough group. Um, but I think for Norway, I think they become completely unstuck and unsettled in that game against um, England um, last week and this week, Monday. What are we calling it? Monday. Um, and I think that really unsettled them. It really shattered uh, their confidence. And I think they were completely exposed at the back, like, like Rachel said. And that carried on through into this game. So it wasn't like they'd even um, sort of picked up on their weaknesses and, and thought, you know what, we're going to deal with this for this game because it's so critical. We have to get this right. They didn't. Um, and, it, um, well, it, it showed. Yeah. And I think it was the right result for that game, 1-0. A few other games we've got to speak about as well. Group D, France defeating Belgium 2-1. Um, probably the main takeaway and what everyone is talking about from this game is the unfortunate injury to Marie Antoinette Katoto. She went off injured in the first half. She did not look like she was in a good way, hobbling, um, you know, had ice on her knee, but, but really struggling even on some crutches at full time. Corinne Diacra said that, you know, she was absolutely fine. And then obviously further scans and, and things like that. Uh, it was it was announced that she was going to be out for the tournament. ACL injury and um, yet another big name, not just this tournament, but this year to lose from an ACL injury. We've got Kristen Press. We've got Jennifer Marajan, Katerina Macario, Alexia Pateas, and now Katoto as well. Um 
It's a massive shame because she's obviously such a big part of, of France's team. She is a lethal attacker and they've still got, you know, they've still got so much quality there. Diani obviously scored in this game and is a fantastic player. Baltimore. Gayaru. Uh, Cascarino, Gyaru's having a, a fantastic tournament. There is so much talent there, but it is a massive loss, Rachel. It's huge. And if that's not kicking the ass of lots of medical people saying we seriously need to do extensive research into ACL injuries in female athletes, I don't know what more needs to be done. Um, I, I know some stuff has been done over the last few years, but we need more and we need it quickly because it's actually getting ridiculous how many players are picking up ACL injuries. And also look at the calendar, right? I think a lot of the a lot of the conversation around Pateas especially has been how much football she's been playing. She's been playing a ridiculous amount of football over the last couple of years with very little breaks and off off time because Barcelona have been in every single competition. They've been playing in, you know, ICC international tournaments that are just glorified friendlies, really. They're meaningless, but they flew over there for that. She's obviously been a massive part of Spain's uh, you know, qualifying for the World Cup, etc. Um, and even though we always talk about the expansion of the WSL and so many teams want to play more games, actually for the biggest teams, the demands on players and the squad sizes aren't really matching up, Chloe, like with, with how many games they're having to play because they're in so many competitions. Yeah, massively. I think, um, you know, they are try a lot of the top teams are now trying to look at the workloads of, of some of the players and trying to do more rotation, especially towards the end of the season. I think when you're more tired, I think it's not been helped also by the immense heat wave that we've got over here. Mm. And um, sometimes, you know, that, I mean, that plays a factor as well. But I think like Rachel said, I've got I've got to echo that because there's just not enough research around ACL, MCL, PCL injuries. Um, and they're starting to happen more and more frequently and to top players. And it ruins it ruins the competition. And it, and it ruins the games when you've got players who are dropped out for long periods of time. You've also got to think about the mental impact that it's having on these players and how difficult it is to do the rehab and to come back a year, 18 months later. So, yeah, I've, I've, um, it, we need to step up in terms of the medical research because a lot of the research at the moment is purely male focused. And, and even things like periods have an impact on your susceptibility to, to injuries. So it's um we've got to step our game up in that regard you have to factor in that there's a world cup next year as well so these injuries now aren't just knocking them out of the euros but potentially threatening their their place at a world cup next year um, and when we talk about how much football players are playing that's another major tournament straight after um a season so yeah it's definitely and worth only only you know the because of because of the pandemic and the way that the tournaments were delayed we've now got back-to-back tournaments which yeah. wouldn't necessarily happen which and an know, olympics and then another euros it's yeah, it's it's going to be really tough on these players. So I know Emma Hayes has talked about it, uh, you know, this season already about the calendar. And she's also been very vocal around monitoring the menstrual cycle and the impact it has on injuries. And she just did a column in The Telegraph uh, literally yesterday about it. And obviously anyone who's watched the DAZN Chelsea doc would have seen that the the research they've been doing and the impact that's had on their, that, their team and lots of teams have followed suit as well. So it's definitely, you know, there is there is stuff going on. Um, and I know, you know, Susie Rack wrote about uh, research that Rehampton University, I think it was, were doing. This was like three years ago, Susie wrote that piece. It's just, you know, the research takes time. They need enough, you know, people to come forward to study. Then, you know, you need to study enough people, therefore, to find the patterns, to then work out how you can combat that. So it's almost just like, you know, the research and, and how it's being undertaken is not happening fast enough in order to, to find a, something that might be able to not solve it because you can't, but just support and, and work out a way to better manage players. 
But I think um, also maybe the FA need to, I mean, the FA for us, obviously in England, need to step in a little bit. Because I think when you look about, um, you know, this competition, if we make it to the final stages, that's the end of July, the WSL season starts on, what, the second weekend of September? So realistically, that's a maximum. And you've got champion, uh, Champions League qualifying League. in August. Yep, so you've got, what, best part of four weeks to recover and also do your pre-season as well with all the new players that you might have signed over, over that period. So it's just no time. So I think for the FA, maybe they should have been thinking about maybe um, starting the season a little bit later on because it's not like we don't have loads of weekends where there, where there aren't fixtures and things. So... I know it's a bit. I know it's a bit difficult, but the, the problem with that is then finishing late when you've got another major tournament next summer. It's, <laughs> it's a squeeze. Like, it's, it's I don't hard. want to be the FA scheduler. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was going to say though, when we talk about professionalising the women's game and people looking at us and saying, "Oh, that goalkeeper did this," therefore, or Wendy Renard missed a penalty, therefore women shouldn't be professional. But it's not just about paying players' wage players' wages. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about professionalising the game. It's the way that women are trained, the type of training they do, the research that takes place in the background. It's That's how we get the, the game. The physio, the sports everything. science, nutrition. This all, all that. Im- this all impacts everyone. You know, how how much money they have in order to have the best home environment home environment as well in order to make sure that they can recover and rest as well as possible you know a lot of these players aren't earning a lot of money um obviously we were talking about big players that are having injuries which would be slightly different but lower down you know in even in the wsl simone mcgill like these a lot of these people are you know sharing houses with three or four people in like and they're professional footballers and you just don't get that in the men's game and that all those things have knock-on effects when you paint the entire picture for for everyone you know what they're eating at home what they can afford to cook at home it it's not it's not as simple as you know oh accidents happen people get acl injuries there's so much that contributes to it um and you touched there rachel on on that um, unfortunate miss for Renny Renard, which certainly got a few people wanting to uh, get some attention on social media, but I'm not going to go into that. Please don't. Let's not waste our precious media. That's what they want. Um, But more importantly, do you, have you guys seen enough from France at the moment from those two performances and and that result against Belgium 2-1, they were, um, you know, push back a little bit with Belgium's goal but they controlled the majority of the game but I think they were just sloppy in the final third but have you guys seen enough from the two performances so far to have them as equal favourites as England or actually out and out favourites um I, I still don't think there's an out-and-out out favourite. I think every team has a weakness. Um, I think France are definitely, definitely up there as favourites. They're frightening going forward. Um, Cascarino was unbelievable. Diani, like, they put the, the shits up here coming at you <laughs> on the pitch. Um, but I just think France switch off in both second halves. And that's something they'll need to look at because, like England, when they come up against tougher opposition, that's an area they're going to look to exploit. Um, now, they still had control in the second half, but... Belgium did come forward a number of times and it was their own undoing that stopped their their kind of momentum coming forward, whether it was a poor pass or a poor cross. And France kind of just had to wait for Belgium to, to kind of mess up. Um, so again, had they been playing uh, maybe a stronger team, those kind of flurries forward could have been more effective. Um, so that would be my only thing is the second half of France is that they need to stay switched on. I think they look bloody powerful. And I think um, where they come out, there is sort of almost a bad match for us in a way because we don't come out or we haven't come out in the last three games, I don't think, particularly strong. And France have a tendency to come out really 
really bloody strong. 100 miles an hour. So it feels like if we don't tighten up that area, if we are, um, you know, if we do come into a situation where we're playing them in the final as Flo worked out, 45 minutes into an episode hey um it all matters all right and thanks massive shout out to sue actually for just simplifying <laughs> the whole process on twitter thank you <laughs> really helpful for everyone um yeah i think that's going to be our biggest threat i think um yeah but I, I do think france are definitely up there as one of the favorites along with us obviously and obviously i'm you know not biased at all the other game in group d was italy against iceland this one finished one all and it was a result that didn't really help anyone certainly result iceland feel that i think they threw away um a massive opportunity to try and get through to the quarterfinals and now they've got a very tough game against France and the expectation is is probably that France will, will blow them away and, and scupper any chances they have of getting out of the quarterfinal. And they dominated large parts of this game. They could have been maybe two or three nil up, but they let Italy get back into the game. Some important second half substitutions after Cristiano Girelli and Bar- Barbara Bonancea, my best Italian there. Italian, come on. Um, they were both dropped after that embarrassing defeat to France. Um, and Italy was so bad in the first half against Iceland, just trying to play route one, kick it long every time. Iceland picked them apart. They went 1-0 up through a brilliant, brilliant Carolina Le Wilhaus at Jams Dottir. That's my... Wow. Iceland attempt, but it's probably more German. <laughs> oh, wow, brilliant, okay. Brilliant goal. But then the substitutions made. Uh, Berger Maschi um, makes, gets an equaliser. And, uh, you know, Italy finally start to actually play football in the, in the final third, play it on the floor. And Iceland end up in tears at the final whistle because they know they missed an opportunity there, Rachel. Do you think that they could get a result against France to give them any hope of getting through to the quarterfinals? Um, I'm not going to lie, you've distracted me there with your butchering of both Icelandic and Italian. Um, <laughs> but Bonancea, that was good. Come on. So Stop. Sophie tipped Iceland. They were her dark horses. Um, and I think they've probably given themselves a massive job to do now. It's it's a shame they didn't get that result against Italy. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a very tall order to get a result against France. Uh, we've we've just talked about them there, how frightening they look. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a tough ask for them. It's a shame. It would have been nice to see them and the the Viking clap go through to the next round. Tough. I think um, I'm I'm going to lay it out there and be really really savage. It's it's fucking impossible. Um, <laughs> it's just not happening. <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah my, unless, that's my analysis on it. Unless um, you know France go with the approach that Serena Vigman didn't, and Karine Diacre decides to rest players. You know the Kototo thing maybe shocks her into resting players, and and that opens the door for Iceland. But yeah, I think it is going to be a big task, and Italy may have just saved themselves because they have a very good chance if they can beat Belgium in that final game of getting through to quarterfinals having not really played particularly well and I came into this tournament with decent expectations of them to get out of the quarterfinals and they might just kind of edge it on on luck on luck alone really um and you know who knows what they'll do in the quarterfinals I don't have massive hopes on this tournament I have been really disappointed in them um but you know they get through to the quarterfinals that is some success but I expected a hell of a lot more, but we'll have to see what happens in those remaining games and we'll obviously be talking about it. Uh, it is Saturday. God, I can't work out what day of the week it is these days. It's Saturday, so we've got the final group games in Group B, which is absolutely wide open for that runner-up spot. We know that whoever finishes runner-up will be playing England. And in Brentford tonight, 
in West London, under the lights, under what is sure to be a beautiful sunset, it'll be Denmark versus Spain in a straight shootout for the quarterfinals. Rachel and I will be there. It's going to be epic. I can't wait. I think it's sold out. I've seen a few people uh, trying to get tickets slash trying to sell tickets. So let's hope they all link up. And then the dead rubber, um, what, 50 miles down the road is in Milton Keynes uh, between Finland and Germany. Shout out to Finland fans. They've been brilliant. But it's all about Spain, Denmark tonight. Cannot wait. Let me want to get a quick prediction from you guys before we wrap. Spain, Denmark, who's going to make it through, Chloe? Oh, I think 1-0 Spain. They're going to just about edge it, but I think Denmark are going to put in an absolute bloody shift tonight. Rachel? 2-1 Spain. I also think Spain are going to edge it. Yeah, I think so. I think they're just more of a total package. I think Denmark are a little bit crap and just rely I on Pernilla Harder Pernilla to Harder drag them through, right? very probably tired from those first two <laughs> matches and is it's to finish against Spain where they're going to have to do an awful lot of running. Uh, it's a lot to ask. They're just quite bad at defending and Spain are just going to drag them out of position, move them around like kind of, you know, little Tetris movements and just create the gaps and find the space and, and they will not find s- not score, not and shoot. They, they'll yeah. find the finish. I think. I think they will find the finish. I am intrigued to see what Jorge Vilda Christensen, does. But... Denmark's Christensen is bloody good. I hope she plays well tonight. Um, she's had a good tournament so far, pulling off some top saves. But I think you're right. I think they will pull them apart a little bit. Um, I think Denmark don't really have a plan B if Harder gets marked out of the game. Um, so yeah, good game. I still think it's going to be an exciting game. It will be. Uh, so make sure you tune into that one tonight, listener. Um, thanks, as always, for listening to Upfront. A reminder for all you Ramble listeners, you can find all our Euros episodes over on Football Ramble Presents. Obviously, we're always here on the main Ramble feed after an England show. But if you want all the good Euros content, make sure you get over to Football Ramble Presents. Uh, if you've got any questions, you can tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet for myself, at Girls on the Ball for Rachel, or at Morgie underscore 89 for Chloe. And we will be back with you on Tuesday. Tuesday. Upfront is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.